This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. Ariel Helwani claps back at Tony Khan's shots on Twitter. Jake Paul talks possibilities of joining his brother in the WWE. The Undertaker tells the real story of his confrontation with Brock Lesnar at UFC and who was not in the know about it and pissed off. And an update on the status of Jeff Hardy. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Seth Grimes, back here with another episode of the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast. And last week, we did not have a show, and your boy's pissed off about it. Because for the second week, for, for the second time in three weeks, rather, your boy fucking recorded an entire show. And this time I didn't delete it like I did the other time, but I re-recorded that show. This week, last week, I recorded the full show, and uh, as a matter of fact, here's the thumbnails that I was going to use for last week's, just in case you were curious as to what I might have covered. There they are. And uh, those goddamn big red boots. I wanted to rant about the big red boots. I was excited. And then the other thing with that quick sidebar, I was excited to talk about the big red boots. And I pride myself on being a podcast journalist, right? And so I was on the case of the big red boots that Seth Rollins was stomping around in. And I saw all these other celebrities. So I looked into it. I dug into it. Um, but you know, then I saw fucking throughout the week, there was a couple other people on the beat as well. So nobody else, uh, wasn't that quick to the jump on that. But regardless, I had this whole show and I recorded the whole show and wouldn't you fucking know it because there was an update to my recording software. The microphone was not reconnected. Because you see, once you place the settings, you can just come in, hit record, bada bing, bada boom, and you're fucking up and running, right? But you you never have to check, oh, is everything connected again? I mean, I you do at first, you know, when you first start. But look, man, this is the 71st episode of this goddamn show. Uh, like the 30th one or 30 whatever that I've been doing on video. Shit just works. I don't need to fucking, you know, I might fat thumb and accidentally delete the bitch like I did two weeks ago. But the shit records. Last week it did not. And here's a clip of what that looked like, just in case you were curious about that. God damn. So the whole show, like, and I was already, it was already running late in the day. And I was already held up, and I just was not going to re-record that goddamn show. Plus, I had a lot of hot takes. I had a lot of good points. I went on a few rants. It was a bomb. It was my best show ever. I swear to God to you, it was the best one. And uh, 
But I, I mean, I botched it. What can I tell you? I fucking botched it, and I was not going to re-record another one. So I took a week off, and uh, I'm sad about it, but I'm back. I'm back here. I'm back in the saddle again. You like that? It's my, uh, it's my, what was that? It's from the 70s, isn't it? Aerosmith. It's Aerosmith, but I think that wasn't even 80s. It might have been, might have even been 60s. Aerosmith's been around a long time. Aerosmith, by the way, quick sidebar. We'll get on with the show. I promise. I promise you. Um, Aerosmith was one of the first bands I started listening to. My mom had the cassette tapes from like the 60s and 70s. And then I got into them in like the 90s when they had like the cow with the udders on the fucking album cover. And they had, like, the music video where he was naked holding his penis and he was painted half black with, like, a zipper. Not like the Roddy Piper half black. It wasn't like that. Come on now. Don't cancel me. Jesus, fuck. It was like a zipper, so it was like a void. I don't know. Doesn't fucking matter. Let's go ahead and get into our first topic here today. Well, the shit keeps getting stirred up between Ariel Helwani and Tony Khan. This, of course, famously stirred back up last week because of a tweet that Tony Khan had posted. Let's go ahead and take a look at that here as a refresher. You're a fraud at Ariel Helwani. You're as legitimate of a reporter as at Tony Schiavone. What the fuck does Tony Schiavone have to do with this? Poor Tony Schiavone. And then as you scroll down, Ariel Helwani replied, Thanks for watching, old friend. Can't wait for our next chat. Also, don't listen to the snowman, Shivani. Uh, you're a legend in my books, both of his books, all two of them. And then Tony Khan replied, good luck with the unbiased journalism. Now, of course, this spun off into, uh, I won't play a clip from WWE for obvious reasons, um, but if you caught it at the Elimination Chamber, you heard Michael Cole on commentary refer to Ariel Hawani as the unbiased journalist who asks the tough questions, even if you don't want to answer them. This, of course, was in reference to where all this drama started to begin with. Uh, was over at the interview that Ariel Helwani did with Tony Khan. This is actually uh, even predates that a little bit because there was a little bit of a, a little bit of heat on MJF for doing Ariel Helwani's show without Tony Khan's permission. And then, uh, you know, Ariel caught wind of that. So he thought that there was already kind of a little bit of heat there to begin with. But Tony Khan sat down on Ariel's show, and I'll play a little clip of just this most awkward fucking interview you've ever seen, uh, just so you can get an idea of what that was like, a little refresher. Uh, could I ask, you know, you mentioned MJF, my good friend. Um, I, I think, and I've said this on many different platforms, uh, I think he's one of, if not the best thing going in pro wrestling today, regardless of promotion. Um, I'm I'm a huge admirer of his work. Uh, he reminds me of, you know, prime 1980s Roddy Piper, uh, the way he conducts himself, just the mic work, everything about him. A few months ago when we did that interview and, and even afterwards, like when he's talking about his contract, and now I think you've done a nice job of kind of blending that into the program as well. And it's stuff that fans, especially of my generation, like we like that stuff and we're not sure what's a work, what's a shoot. He's calling you a mark, all that stuff. Initially, were you comfortable with him talking about? Because in the business, historically, we don't know when contracts are up. Were you comfortable with all of that? I this is one of those things that I uh, don't want to talk about, but I oh. do think uh, I agree with everything you let off with. I think he's one of the best 
wrestlers in the world. It's amazing how much he's accomplished already at such a young age. He's a great talent. And Could I just follow up if I may? Like the reason why I'm so drawn to MJF is because he talks about the side of the game. You know, you're a football guy. We love the business side of sports, right? Free agency, transfers, deals. This I think is brilliant. So I'm just curious, why don't you want to talk about it? Like why this I think is part of his appeal. And I think it's great for the storyline, his spot in the company. He's going to be a free agent in a year and a half or so. And you're talking about it on the on the broadcast as well. Yeah, but I don't see how, you know, going into detail about it other than talking about his wrestling and what he brings to the show. And of course, uh, you know, everything he brings, his great promos, his great ideas. There's a lot there. But, uh, you know, I think you're you're starting when if you want to get into the contracts and that aspect of it with me. um, Same as my other jobs, if you wanted to talk about the contracts at Fulham. I would probably be kind of vague. I would say, like, I really like the player. I think it's good business we're doing. And uh, I think it's a great transfer that we're making. And we're doing a smart move for the club. But, you know, you getting into the numbers and stuff, rarely will I do that. Uh, when he was on my show, he just said that he came to terms with you on, on a deal, but not an extension. Can I ask if that was accurate? Yeah, I, I again, I don't want to comment on what okay. we did, but I think uh, I, he's been well compensated and I'm glad to have him on the shows and uh, he's like a huge part of it now. So it's great. What was going through your mind at that press conference Labor Day? I mean, I was just trying to watch you as a punk who I know quite well was, you know, saying what he had to say. I was dying to know what was just happening in your mind in that moment as all that was unfolding. Could you share any of that with us? I cannot share any of that with you, Uh, but I were you upset? I can't talk okay. about it, but I uh, appreciate, you know, and understand that you had to ask. Fair enough. C- could I ask what is the state of your relationship with CM Punk? You can ask, but I, I appreciate okay. that you asked, but I cannot answer that, my friend. Okay, fair enough. C- could I ask what's the state of his relationship with AEW? Like, is he is he going to come back? Is he suspended? I think there's a lot of uh, intrigue, a lot of questions regarding where he sits right now. I know he's nursing an injury, but... Is he going to come back or is that up in the air? You can ask, but I, okay. I cannot answer that and comment, my friend. Fair enough. And and what about the other particulars involved in the alleged incident afterwards? Can you comment on their status with the company? Are they are they back at least? I, I, it's the whole thing. I just the can't whole thing talk, can't about talk about it. About I don't about want to talk about it. I, I, but, it's, but, you know, I, I understand. I had to ask. I understand. I understand what you got to do. And so then shortly after that, Ariel Hawani just fucking just said what we all noticed from the interview itself. In fact, I was on that shit. Uh, I covered that clip, that interview that Tony Khan did. And that was my take on it is that it was a shitty interview before Ariel ever even responded. And then Ariel backed that take up when he said flat out on his show, he came on and said that that was one of the worst interviews he's ever had. Check out this clip. Did this interview with Tony Khan last Tuesday. It aired Wednesday night. It was for the YouTube channel. You could check it out. Uh, I, 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 look, whatever I'm going to say here is going to piss off the, uh, the AEW supermarks. But I'll just say this. One of the most frustrating and to a degree not so fun interviews of my career. Because, as you may have seen, he didn't want to answer anything. Now, look, like you're going to come on and promote X, Y, and Z. Great. And I'll play that dance with you. And I did at the beginning. 
but you got to give us something to not even tell me like how you were feeling. I'm not asking for specifics on, all right, fine. I asked, is, is punk going to wrestle for you? Is he coming back? You don't want to get into it. Fine. But just tell me how you were feeling. Give me something. MJF contract. Hey, uh, you know, I don't do business in the public, but I'll tell you, love having him on board. Look forward to many years together. But give me something. Don't just say, not going to talk about it. Not going to talk about it. Doesn't serve me. Doesn't serve me. That's not the way you do it. If you want to be the voice, if you want to be the face, there's a way to do that dance. Look at Eddie. Look at Dana back in the day. Look at some of the great promoters over the last 30 years. There's a way of giving us the answer even though it's not the answer I want, but you're giving us some sort of answer, something to chew on, as opposed to just shutting it all down. Not very enjoyable. And if I'm being honest, like right off the bat, I was like, oh, I think you didn't like me back in the day because he turned down multiple interviews with me. And then we get right into the MJF thing and like really deep into the weeds on the PR stuff. And I was like, golly, this is how we're starting. All right. I just, you know, took a shot at BT, the ITV stuff, should have went back at him and reminded him two minutes ago that he, you know, was fawning over, Warner Brothers Discovery about being the greatest place for AW. Meanwhile, BT is owned by Warner Brothers Discovery, and yet he's telling me that ITV is a better place than BT. Like, just these things that were, um, you know, discrepancy. He says he never met Nick Khan, then he says he talked to him on the phone. I was like, what are we doing here? Well, like, well, what is this? And you're not going to give me one legit answer? I appreciated meeting him. I, I enjoyed it. But, like, the enjoyment of getting to talk to the the guy who founded this great property that has done a lot of great things in three years fizzled out rather quickly when I realized the only answers he's going to give me are these long drawn out answers uh, promoting all this stuff and going on these tangents about Chris Jericho and this and that when, you know, we got a tight window and I kept mentioning the tight window because they told me there was a tight window and I can't get to the end of the stuff. And then when I get to the stuff, you don't want to answer any of them. So now that you're all caught up and we're back to present day here, let's go ahead and take a look at Ariel Hawani still talking shit on the uh, MMA hour, hanging out with a couple of his buddies, I don't fucking know who, and they're talking about this Tony Khan tweet, and boy does Ariel not hold back and just makes a fucking joke out of Tony Khan. Check out this clip. And I see this fucking tweet from Tony Khan. And I swear to God, I looked at it like three times and thought it was fake. <laughs> I thought it was fake because, you know, anyone can have a, a, a blue check, right? Anyone can be I was verified. Like, there is no yeah. way. This anyone guy doesn't follow me. He's never tweeted me. There is no way that he actually tweeted this. Number one, proving that he was watching, A, which is bizarre. Why would you do that? Why would you put the competition <laughs> over and show that you're watching some random SmackDown and a random moment in the uh, in the telecast? Number two, putting down his own guy in the process, your guy, GC, the great Tony Schiavone. But the amazing thing was, is how the whole thing spread backstage. Everyone was, you see the tweet, you see the tweet, you see the tweet. And like, I'm just a new, I've just been here for four hours. Like, I don't even know yeah. a lot of these people. This is amazing. How could he have done, was that really him? What a, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, yeah, I guess it was really him. He doesn't follow me, but I guess it was really him. And I still feel kind of bad for Tony Schiavone that he was insulted in the process. Now to take a step back, to take a step back, he is still upset, clearly, over the fact that he gave me one of the all-time worst interviews and ignoring the fact that I have continuously praised the product ever since they launched around three years ago. It was just a bad interview, objectively a bad interview. Now, what's amazing about that interview is, you know, everyone loves to talk about, oh, he couldn't talk about this, he couldn't talk about that, legal this, legal that. First of all, like, 
where's the fucking legal, right? Where, where's, yeah, where's the we've proof? been waiting for a while yeah, on that. Where's the proof? What legal? What legal are you guys talking about? You're going to compare this to this and that. Like, where's the le- what? What is this investigation that you guys keep talking about? This guy who has built an amazing thing, all credit to him. This kid who, you know, if it wasn't for his old man, wouldn't be, l- let me tell you something. My dad gave me a lot, but as far as like MMA journalism and everything that I've built, that was all on me. That was all on me. All right. Um, I'm very proud of what I built. I wasn't going to let this guy fucking soil my name, drag it through the mud, ruin my night, Montreal, a dream, a bucket list thing. And I know he's trying to get himself over on me because Lord knows he needs it. I wasn't going to let that happen. So while we were playing that clip, I was actually looking at Twitter still. While I had that up on the other page and I noticed Ariel Hawani actually put in his bio, check out this over here in the corner, fraud, birdwatching journalist. I don't know where the birdwatching comes from, um, but fraud, fraud, he threw the fraud in there, obviously as a poke. And this is this is so funny. Tony Khan really dug himself a hole with this one. I want to like Tony Khan. Look, I like AEW for the most part. I, I love a good fucking wrestling match. I don't always... I never, I always like AEW, Dynamite anyway. I don't watch Rampage or Dark or any of that shit. But when I watch Dynamite, I like it. And there's nothing about it that I don't like. Um, I can't say that I'm always compelled to watch. You know, it's not like, uh, oh, nothing's must-see, right? Um, But I enjoy AEW for the most part. You know what I mean? And, And I like a lot of the wrestlers there. I like the wrestlers there more than I like them in WWE. So I would even go as far as to say... I like AEW better than I like WWE still, even during the Bloodline hype and all of that. But, so I want to like Tony Khan, I really do, but come on, man. This this shit makes him look like such a cuck, such a weak little fuck. Like, he's going to call Ariel Hawani and out on Twitter, in public, he thought this was a good idea to call him an unbiased journalist and a fraud. For being on WWE TV, Ariel pointed it out just perfectly. He's not a wrestling journalist. He's not Dave Meltzer. He doesn't break stories in wrestling. He doesn't. His allegiance is not an issue to his journalism. You know what I mean? He's not. It's not like he's going to work for the UFC and then trying to cover fucking. Bellator or whatever the fuck else is out there still that thing that CM Punk does commentary on um you know it's it's lowbrow bullshit he didn't need to go out there and make this kind of tweet public and it just makes him look weak and it makes him look insecure it makes him look like he still holds a grudge from that interview from Ariel Hawani or at least Ariel's comments after the interview. Maybe Tony left that interview thinking, ah, well, it was fine, whatever. And then he heard Ariel bury him and say it was his worst fucking interview ever, or at least his hardest or whatever he said there. So, um, yeah, I'm sure Tony is salty with Ariel. And look, Ariel's... Uh, I love Ariel Hawani. Like, I've also said this on the show. I think this guy is top-notch, top-of-the-line journalist. Uh, as a sports journalist, he's the best. Um, if not the best, he's in the top. You know, he's in that conversation for sure. And like I've said many times, if he breaks out of 
the sports world in and goes into like interviewing celebrities and movie stars and politicians and presidents and stuff like that like he could really go down as one of the biggest interviewers of all time he can be that guy that's doing those legendary interviews like the Barbara Walters shit, you know, the Walter Cronkite. That could be Ariel Hawani someday. I really believe that. He's great at what he does, but he can also be a dick. He's hard to like. He's very smug, very smug. He's like overly smug. Like he probably needs to get smacked a little bit just because he's so, he's so, he's just, he's too arrogant in himself. And, and he says things so slyly that he, he feels like he can slip them in under the radar. You know, if you ever just pick up on the way that he does shit, he's very sneaky with his, his little jabs, his little pokes that he likes to do. Um, but you see it right there, like that fraud bird-watching journalist in his profile. He's still poking at He's still poking the bear. Um, but Tony, look, like I, so Tony, uh, Errol Hawani's hard to like sometimes and he can be a dick sometimes and i understand why tony khan would be salty at ariel hawani because of what ariel had said about their interview but it was a shitty interview you can't go on ariel hawani and expect to just be like well we have a great roster at aew and the network's behind us and look our ratings have been up week over week and we got this big pay-per-view coming up and that's all tony khan likes to do that's all the blah, 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 fucking jesus Slow down, guy, and, and answer some real questions, you know. And uh, I think Ariel was right too. He had said in this this little clip here that uh, uh, on his YouTube channel that he and I put the full thing down in the comments or in the description for you if you want to watch that full segment that he did, um, just burying Tony Khan essentially. Um, but he did compare him. He did, you know, also say that he kind of wants to. Uh, win the approval of Dana White because he knows Dana doesn't like Ariel either. So uh, Tony Tony just looks like a bitch. It makes him look bad, and this is the kind of stuff that makes him lose credibility in the public eye, which in turn makes AEW lose credibility in the public eye. People want a strong brand. People want to to know that there's a strong leader behind the product. They don't want this fucking whiny little bitchy cunt on on twitter just complaining about journalists showing up in the crowd of a fucking wrestling show when they're not even wrestling journalists besides he's got dave Meltzer in his goddamn pocket and he knows it you know so he can he can take his unbiased journalism and shove it up his ass there too because he knows goddamn well that Meltzer does him favors for sure um, but that's my take on it. Look, Tony Khan looks like a bitch here. And Ariel Hawani's having fun with it. And all the guys in the, the WWE locker room and Michael Cole. And God, it just, Tony Khan's the laughing stock of the business right now. You know how bad that makes him look and in turn makes AEW look? It makes them look like a joke. It makes him look like a joke. It could, all you got to do is get Nick Khan on there with his smug ass, too. Get him on a phone call with any AEW top stars. Like, come on, kid. Come over and play with the big boys now. You done playing with that kid over there? 
a little punk-ass, whiny Twitter kid. Come play with the big boys. Join the big leagues. The more that Tony does that shit, the more that he's setting, the the more that they just look inferior. And 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 God damn, I'm rooting for him because not only do I like the product, but the business needs a strong number two. It doesn't need a TNA and a fucking NWA and a GCW way down at the bottom. You know, these are like your fagos and your fucking your your value mart fucking colas compared to Coke. And Tony Khan is trying to present Pepsi versus Coke. And he just man, he's kind of RC Cola in it right now. You know what I mean? He's <sighs> That's my take though. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below and I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. <laughs> Well, we got an update on the status of Jeff Hardy this week. Jeff Hardy, of course, arrested about a year ago, maybe uh, last summer-ish, I think. Uh, the weather was warmer, I do believe. Um, but Jeff Hardy got pulled over and uh, had a nasty DUI. The whole thing's on YouTube. You can see the cops following him for quite a while. And uh, they do the whole sobriety test. It's all on YouTube. It is a big fucking mess. And uh, it was a big fuck up for Jeff Hardy because he had been clean for a while. And, uh, of course, you know, he's had these issues on and off for a long time. I mean, the dude has had previous DUIs and, and other issues in the past. But he was supposedly clean, doing well. He had just gotten signed to AEW. And uh, according to Matt Hardy, uh, apparently they were basically on track to beat the Young Bucks, or I think it was the Young Bucks, might have been somebody else at the time, but they were on track to win the tag team titles. They were going to get a tag team title run, uh, be it however short it probably would have been, you know, it might have been just a, you know, a momentary thing and pass it right back, but they were going to get a title win as AEW tag team champions, the Hardy boys and, uh, Hardy fucked it all up, you know. He's still employed technically by AEW, um, but he did get arrested, and we've all kind of been just waiting to hear what happened. And I do have an update here over at comicbook.com, and uh, Comic Book has uh, posted that Jeff Hardy sentenced following his third DUI. Third fucking DUI, dude. Jeff Hardy is coming up on one year in AEW, blah, blah, blah. Volusia County Court has sentenced Jeff to 38 days in a county jail with 38 days credited for his time served. So no time. He's not going to go sit in jail anymore. Uh, he's, he was sentenced to the time he already sat when he was picked up. Uh, Jeff has also been issued two years probation. $4,586 in fines and court fees. Yikes. I mean, that's small potatoes for Jeff, but that's, I mean, that, that's that's a hefty fee, to be honest with you. A 10-year suspension of his license. Two years with an interlock device and a 90-day vehicle impoundment, court-mandated DUI school or drug rehab program, and community service. Um, so it looks like, uh, they go on to say that, uh, Jeff's attorneys are trying to fight a little bit of that, some of the stuff that got tacked on there, but look, he's not going to serve any time 
And uh, rightfully, goddamn so, a third DUI, they should take your license away on a second DUI. Look, a first one, I, I hate to say slap on the wrist because DUIs are dangerous as fuck and people die with DUIs. But, um, you know, like, I, it's harsh to just take somebody's license away forever for a DUI. Uh, half a year, six months, three months, six months for a first offense. After that, bro, it's, you're done. You're, no more driving for you. Take the bus. Um, or maybe slap the tenure on there. But as a third DUI, he should never be able to drive again, in my opinion. But 10 years, uh, apparently Volusia County down there is uh, pretty lenient on the on the DUI stuff. Um, no jail, nothing like that. I wonder how much of that has to do with his celebrity, too. Just that they want to, you know, not have a guy like that locked up. Who knows? I, I'm just kind of speculating there at this point why he wouldn't have been locked up. But... Uh, it's serious. It's a serious deal to, I mean, fool me once, right? Twice, shame on me. Third, what the fuck are we doing here? Um, no word on if he is going to be going back to AEW anytime soon. I would assume he's still going to have to go through the uh, treatments, the mandatory treatments and rehabs and, and drug programs that they sentenced him to. And, uh, you know, if I was Tony Khan, I would want those to be completed anyway. Even if he wasn't sentenced to them, uh, you're going to go and do all that before you come back. Uh, <clears throat> I don't hate the idea of Jeff Hardy keeping his job. I don't want to say the guy needs to lose his job. Um, he fucked up and he's should be punished for it to a certain extent. But look, he's a he's a wrestling legend at the same time. And uh I, he's not being malicious. He's got problems. He needs treatment. He, he's battling these things his whole entire life. So I think that we should have a pinch of compassion for Jeff Hardy. And uh, even, you know, even myself, when this happened, I was kind of lost faith in Jeff because, you know, it was it had just been like a week Maybe two weeks prior to his DUI, he was on like Talk as Jericho or something. And he was talking about how sober he was and how it, there was a big long segment about how he got himself clean and how proud he was. And he was just lying through his motherfucking teeth, unless this was like a one time relapse, but I doubt it. Um, but again, I'm just speculating and that's not my place to do. So, um, hey, good for Jeff. Um, I don't want to see the guy go to prison or jail or anything. Um, I want to see him get well. I like Jeff. I don't have any beef against him or anything. So um, he deserves to get back on track and, and be given a redemption arc. So hopefully he's given that path. Whether he chooses to walk that path or not is up to him. What he decides to do with his life going forward, he's already proven that he's going to relapse. You can never fully trust him. You know, he's always going to have you looking out of the corner of your eye at this motherfucker. Um, you know, you can never fully, hey, Jeff, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm doing, uh, are you though? You know, like, and to that point, if I was a Tony Khan and I did keep him employed, you do want to think like you can't trust the guy with any kind of big push. Uh, you kind of, 
I'm sorry to say it for Matt, but I would tie him to his brother Matt and let Matt babysit him. <laughs> That's the best way to go about it. Bring him back, let him have a run as a tag team, and 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 pull Matt aside and say, Matt, bro, I want to do good by you and your brother, but I need you to keep an eye on him because he can't fuck up again or he's done. But all of that remains to be seen, and that's just my two cents, but that's why I have a microphone in front of me and, uh, you know, yell at it and, and have a YouTube channel where I uh, yell at the clouds. Leave your thoughts down in the comments below. What do you think, Jeff Hardy? Is he going to be all right? Should he be back in AEW? Should they kick him to the curb? Let me know your thoughts. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Jake Paul was on the MMA Hour with Ariel Helwani this week talking about his big fight coming up. He's fighting Tommy Fury, the little brother of Tyson Fury. And this is one of those smaller level uh, boxing promotion events. And look, Jake Paul's been out there killing it, just beating the fuck out of people. Like, he's hanging with, you know, granted, like an Anderson Silva's past his prime. But, like, he's out there, he's able to hang with him, right? So you got to give him credit there. Um, and, and he was talking with Ariel Hawani about wanting to step it up and get into the UFC and be taking on MMA fights and that sort of thing. Um, but of course, Ariel Hawani's a wrestling nerd, so he couldn't help but sneak in a little bit of a wrestling question as he asked Jake Paul here in this clip about possibly joining his brother Logan in the WWE and his thoughts on Logan in the WWE. Check out this clip. Um, and by the way, I saw you last time uh, you were in Saudi Arabia. You did the WWE thing with your bro. Any chance you do more of that stuff? We'll see. We'll see. I'm down. I just don't want to get injured. Yeah. I know how serious my brother tore his MCL. It's crazy out there. So I just don't want it to derail from my boxing and all that. But I'm down. I love the WWE. Um, I love working with my brother. So that that would definitely be something that could be on the horizon for sure. I got to say, blown away by him. Like what he did at the Royal Rumble there with Ricochet. Every time he shows up, it's just like insane. He's He was literally perfectly made for that sport. It's it's absurd. I don't get it. And it looks like he's been doing it for yes. years. I don't get it. It's nuts, man. It doesn't make... And you see, I got to see... I saw him in Montreal this weekend... Uh, when he was there at the Elimination Chamber, and I saw how seriously he was taking it, like going through everything and him in the back, like how locked in he was. It's really cool to see someone in his spot take it that seriously because some other people, I think, show up and they're like, oh, this is easy, it's fake. He's clearly not taking it like that, and it's it's showing, right, like by his work in the ring. So I have a lot of respect for him for what he's doing. Yeah, me too. And we we always take everything we do very seriously and want to excel at it. That's just like how the Pauls do it. So whatever it is we set our mind to and get involved in, we want to be the best at it. Paul brothers get a lot of heat. I like the Paul brothers personally myself, especially Logan. I think Logan is has the better heart of the two. Jake's kind of a... Kind of seems like he might be a bit of a douchebag from time to time. But overall, I like the Paul brothers. They get a lot of flack. Um, but I think, like he said, they don't do anything half-ass. You heard Errol Hawani 
say that he saw Logan. I witnessed him going over everything intricately backstage at Elimination Chamber, like really putting a lot of thought and effort into it. Logan's not out there half-assing shit, you know, and and like Jake said, they don't ha- I think they get they get this rap of being like YouTubers or celebrity wannabe fighters and yet they go out there and they just kick ass. And and that's a credit to how hard that they work. And Logan Paul's a fucking look at that man. Look at the shit that he has been able to do in WWE. Um, he's doing fantastic. He's a goddamn prodigy at that. Um, Jake Paul is 100% right. Like, WWE is not his thing. Logan Paul is not trying to be a professional fighter. He's had professional fights, and he'll probably do professional fights again as a celebrity boxer or whatever the case may be, his fight with Floyd Mayweather. Uh, it was fun to watch because Floyd was obviously, like, just kind of playing around with Logan, but he wanted to see how long Logan could hang, and Logan hung. You know what I mean? Um, but that's not Logan's gig, so he can do WWE and get injured if he has to. But he's because he's still got his podcast. He's got Prime. Like he's more of a uh, influencer and a, and a mogul. Jake's going the route of being a fighter and a promoter. And uh, it's interesting paths that they're taking. And, and Jake Paul, uh, you know, he, he if his prime thing is prime thing, his prime thing is going to be to be trying to get into MMA, trying to get into the UFC. Then, no, he doesn't want to go and have a match in WWE and tear his fucking ACL or blow out his fucking arm socket or his fucking whatever the case may be. And anything can happen as safe as they could try to put it together. His best bet is to just run in and do spots. That way he's not, you know, he doesn't need to be out there taking bumps and trying to pull off moves and shit. If that's something he really wants to do, just like a bucket list thing, perhaps, but he's definitely risking getting injured. So I get where he's coming from. I don't get, you know, I don't blame him for that. You know, it's not his thing as much, but he respects it. He's putting it over, and more than that, he respects what Logan's doing. And look, Logan's doing fucking great, and he's on his way to participate in, what, his third WrestleMania now? Uh, Second match, third appearance? Logan's a fucking stud, man. He's going to go in there, and he's going to have a banger with Seth Rollins. Let me goddamn tell you now. Let me goddamn tell you right now that Seth Rollins and Logan Paul might just be the match of the night on whatever night that it's on. Might just be the match of the entire two week, the two days, three days, five days, whatever the fuck WrestleMania is nowadays. Um, he's gonna, It's going to be great. And um, it's interesting to hear... Paul's take on it, uh, Jake's Paul's take on it as, you know, he's kind of doing his own thing and paving his own path forward, but they can come together as brothers and fucking just team up and unite for like little one-off spots and that kind of thing. It's fun. And just look, even the backstage insight from Ariel Hawani is very fascinating. So highly recommend you check out the full interview. Actually, uh, only that little bit that I played for you had anything to do with wrestling. The whole rest of it was about, you know, all the MMA and boxing shit or whatever. But look, if you want to, you know, kind of an in-depth take, an in-depth look at Jake Paul and kind of see what he's all about compared to Logan, Highly recommend it. Link is down in the description below. Otherwise, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next.
the dead man, the undertaker was on Hawk and Wolf. This is a podcast hosted by Tony Cock. Tony <laughs> Tony Cock. I'm going to leave that in. I'm not even going to redo that. Tony Cock. <laughs> And Jason Ellis, I would totally redo that. But cock, that's funny. Um, Tony Hawk, the Birdman himself, and Jason Ellis, both pro skateboarders. Uh, Tony Hawk, who hasn't heard of Tony Hawk? Everybody and their mom has heard of Tony Hawk. Jason Ellis, though, uh, you might remember from the Tony Hawk video games. Jason Ellis is only a name that I know from like highlight reels. And YouTube clips and, of course, the Tony Hawk video games. Um, but he seemed to fit right in here with The Undertaker. He seems like a uh, like a good old Irish pub drinking, fucking get drunk, smash a mug over his head and fight somebody. That's, that's what I get out of that guy. He was getting a kick out of The Undertaker. He asked The Undertaker to chop him, to give him a slap. But The Undertaker refused because The Undertaker... Um, was gonna do it for real if he was gonna do it on video, yeah. Which Jason Ellis would have totally taken a hundred percent, dude. Um, but they talked about how like uh, Jamie Hayter was in there a couple weeks ago prior and was kind of teaching them how they do the forearms to the face or whatever without knocking people out. And the Undertaker was so disgusted. He's like, I'm getting old, man. <laughs> He's like, because me, I would just knock the shit out of your face. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's what a lot of this interview was, was The Undertaker just talking about old school shit. Back in the day, that's what was fascinating to, to the skater guys, was just learning about the old days of the wrestling world, and that's what he's good for. Uh, let's go ahead, before I get any further into talking about it, let's just go ahead and check out the clip here. Um, that was mostly what they talked about, but it was in this clip here that they got into talking about uh, the time that Undertaker showed up at the UFC at a Brock Lesnar fight. If you remember, Undertaker was standing in the crowd, and as Brock was walking out, Taker mean-mugged him, and Brock did, like, a double-take, like, you want some, bitch? And Taker's like, anytime you're ready, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, apparently, that was to set up an angle, which I think has been heard before. Um, but did we know that Dana White knew nothing about it and was pissed? Check out this clip. So glad it's not happening. Wait, the light went off. The light's off. I can't see anything, you guys. Holy! What's up, guys? The Undertaker is here. I told you. It he is. was. She was not believing me that, that you were here. The light thing is kind of a it's hard habit to break. I saw a long time ago Brock Lesnar when he was in the UFC walk by you and you stared him down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody bought that. I, I, that's no. All right. That's all right. I saw a long time ago Brock Lesnar when he was in the UFC walk by you and you stared him down and someone asked you a question. It looked to me like you were like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm probably going to mix up, mix it up with this guy right. pretty soon. And I was like, really? Was that <laughs> real? Like, cause I was there. No, I was, I was strictly there to, to, to pick a fight. Um, but a pick a fight. On, on our format, not okay. his format. Okay. Uh, and it took, I don't know, we did that and then nothing happened. Um, what do you mean nothing happened? People didn't, you didn't do the fight or? No, no, not, not till years later, we didn't. Um, unbeknownst to Vince or myself, 
like Dana had no clue what was what was going on. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You did a little inside promo. Yeah, and we, we we weren't aware of the fact that Dana did not know that that I was gonna that I was gonna do that. Yeah. And uh, how was he about that? He was not happy. Right. Yeah, he, he was not happy that he gets somebody unhappy from, about things sometimes. So that, that that some guy from the WWE is challenging his biggest draw. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But we thought he was on board with it, and everybody, you know, everybody was. I would have thought that it was a win-win for everybody. It probably could have been, um, but again, it didn't happen. You know, for for years. I mean, it was years later before he got out of, or he left UFC, and then came back to the WWE. So um, we jumped the gun a little bit on the timing, right. but uh, uh, it, I thought it, it was a buzz in the MMA community. Oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I was, was like, are you gonna? Yeah. Are they gonna sign you? Did that ever? No, 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 no. It was too late in the game for me to switch right. over. You know, last week Undertaker was on hot boxing with Mike. And so I got lucky because apparently the, they're conjoining studios. They, they, Tony Hawk starts the episode uh, of their podcast saying that Undertaker is in the next room talking to Mike Tyson. And he agreed to come to our show after. So they got all geeked about it. Um, so apparently there's some kind of podcast studio over there where they're doing all this. And I recorded a segment last week talking about this goddamn interview Undertaker did with Mike Tyson, which just, I'll give you the meat and potatoes, the short and quick of it. it fucking, it was just Mike Tyson sitting around going, Andre the Giant, he was pretty big, huh? <laughs> I, I didn't know people got that big. What was it like working with the Ultimate Warrior? Like, he just wanted to know stories about all he'll he just he wouldn't even ask questions half time he'd just sit back and be like the seek i used to watch the seek um it was great it was it was funny he was stoned out of his mind and undertaker did his best to be a professional in that interview um but i got a take two we got another one right after undertaker sitting down with tony hawk and uh jason ellis um, that whole Brock Lesnar thing, I, they could have did some good business there at that time. There's, uh, there was some good crossover business to be had. Dana White wanted nothing to do with it. And look, I don't blame Dana White. UFC wants to stay far away from that, that fake wrestling crap. You know what I mean? They're all a bunch of meatheads and they, they, they want their sport to be taken seriously. Cause in all honesty, MMA is what pro wrestling would be if pro wrestling was real. UFC is nothing but a federation. It's a fed. It's a pro wrestling fed with real pro wrestlers. And and that's exactly what they'd be. People coming in from different backgrounds. This guy's a high flyer. This guy's a fucking brawler. This guy, you know, this guy's a puncher. This guy's a wrestler. Um <laughs> So he's going to want to distance himself from wrestling as much as possible. But they showed it on camera. It's not like they shied away from it completely, though I don't think Dana White sits and screams in everybody's ear on a headset. He sits and watches the fights. He doesn't produce the goddamn show. I'm sure somebody does, though, obviously. Um, but, they, you know, whoever that was, they chose to show that The Undertaker doing that there. But that could have been some good business. Um Look, that could have led to, like, look, uh, Brock comes in and beats The Undertaker at, like, the next, like, say, SummerSlam. I don't know when that fight was, right? But let's say SummerSlam was a month or two later. 
build up a little online hype for it, get some buzz based off this UFC thing. Brock comes in, beats The Undertaker at SummerSlam, uh, but then fucking, you know, Taker gets one back at WrestleMania. Everybody does great business. You plug UFC the whole time. You, you know, Brock Lesnar, the UFC champion, the, you know, the fighter from the, the heavyweight fucking, you know what I mean? Like, there, there could have been some good cross-promotional. And look, Dana White owes his entire fucking company to the WWE, as a matter of fact, because the UFC was not a shit when Dana White took over. You know, when the Fertitta brothers bought the shit and Dana White was put in place as president, UFC was a dead company. It was dead. And they brought it back to life. You know, they had that. Uh, and so the first thing that they did was they tried to model it after pro wrestling. When they, you know, when they came in, they had like, uh, it was the Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz era. And they had like the big fucking staging, like the Monday Night Raw stage. And they had the the big Tron and they had the fireworks and everything. It, they, they did the full pro wrestling treatment. Then when they tried to go legit and they did shape it into more of a sport uh, and it looked more clean and professional, they had that show, The Ultimate Fighter. And they put it on after Raw and boom. Man, they were off and running after that because they had that Stefan Bonner, Forrest Griffin fight. Jesus fucking Christ. Those guys just killed each other. It was the greatest, still one of the greatest fights you'll ever see in MMA history. It was just on live TV right after Monday Night Raw. No, they made it to the pay-per-view, but you get my point. Um, And that's what made, that's the house, uh, Ultimate Fighter is the house that built the UFC, so to speak. And Ultimate Fighter that can credit their lead in uh, WWE Monday Night Raw. So... I think Dana was probably a bit too uptight there about that, uh, especially because he's, by all accounts, friendly with Vince McMahon. They could have had business there, but you know what? I also don't blame him. You know, if he wants to separate that shit, you don't want your top real fighting guy to go over WWE fake shit fighting guy because then people are going to question MMA, right? It could, could fuck with the credibility of MMA. So uh, I see it. I get it. But that would have been fun. But look, they had a, I mean, Taker and, and Brock had a whole fucking thing after anyway. You know, they worked together previously and then before Brock left to UFC. And when he came back, they had that little run and then fucking Brock ended the streak, which was hot garbage, which I believe Taker has even said on record that he wishes it wouldn't have happened that way. But he's not the boss. So that's what he's told. But um, they were able to make some good money together anyway, but I think UFC could have got a good cut of that and some good cross-promotional opportunities there. But I've I've ranted on this long enough. Leave your thoughts down in the comments below if you got a take on it, on any of it at all, uh, any of the aspects. Taker, Brock, wrestling, how it compares to MMA or how MMA modeled itself or owes a thanks to WWE, all of that shit, any of it, leave it in the comments below. I'm going to have <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I need that in the clip. I can't even talk anymore. <laughs> On Ric Flair's To Be The Man podcast with Conrad Thompson, they had another Ask Nature Anything. And the topic came up for the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, about AEW. 
And AEW, clearly a number two promotion at this point, clearly losing some steam. You know, they're kind of kind of chugging along a little bit. They're not as hot as they used to be. And there's a lot of things that could contribute to that. Um, but the Nate was asked, how would you fix AEW? And uh, his response was interesting, to say the least. Check out this clip. Tony hasn't changed his thing in three years. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can tell that it's still Tony booking for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying, why not give it a shot, somebody else a shot? This is not knocking Tony. I'm just saying, You're you right. know, he's he's on a private jet flying into football. He doesn't miss a football game. No, he sits with his dad. I mean, he actually, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't attend some practices. He oh, like sure. he, he yeah. likes the football. Plus, he runs a soccer team over in Europe. It's a lot hands on. So why not? I plug in somebody else in new just to see how it works. Someone that can tell everybody, hey, this is the way it's going to be. Right. You don't like it? The WWE is not going to take all of you. I can guarantee right. you. Right. Not at, the, not at the money you're making here. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. I think, um, I think it's going to be an interesting couple of years because I do think. AEW has been in a state of transition. You know, you look back to the, the way it launched in 2019 and what the company looked like, you know, just, uh, at the end of 2021. So just two and a half years later, man, it looked a lot different and I think it's just going to continue to evolve, but that's kind of necessary. I think he's right. I think it's time for Tony Khan, the Two-time, three-time, five-time Booker of the Year, however many goddamn times. they just do that again? Did he just win Booker of the Year again? Something like that, Wrestling Observer. Remember I said earlier in the show, in a different clip, if you're just watching the clips, that Tony Khan's got Meltzer in his back pocket? Well, there you go. Booker of the Year, Tony Khan. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think it is time for Tony Khan to step down. Uh, look, I don't doubt that Tony's ADD enough to handle his football and his other football, the overseas football that's actually soccer, but they like to think that it's called football makes them feel good because they don't have real football over there. So they got to play the, the, the soccer, which is the inferior sport. They like to, uh, claim that that's actually football and that's just not the case. UK fans, I love you. I love you guys. Thank you for thank you for watching. I appreciate you guys. Ah, where the fuck was I? Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that Tony Khan's ADD ass could handle it all. He could, yeah, he just sits and doodles in his notebook and sketches up his fucking weeks and weeks of booking. The problem is, is there's no stories. He's making matches, and look. There's two. They're two different products. Some people like wrestling matches. AEW is AEW is better wrestling matches. AEW is better wrestlers. AEW is wrestling industry. It acknowledges there's a WWE in the world. It acknowledges New Japan and Ring of Honor and Impact and. It, it adds all that other shit in. And despite what you think you know from growing up fucking listening to, to Bruce Pritchard or Jim Cornette or something, you there's nothing wrong with mentioning the other brands. 
You know, UFC, for example, they're not scared to say this guy came from Bellator. This guy came from whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? Uh, Pride and, and, and all of that shit. Whatever they got that people punch each other for real. Whatever it is. The point is people in real sports, people come from other sports. And it adds to their credibility. This guy's world traveled. He's from over here. He's from over there. Let's bring this guy in. It's a big deal that we got this Japanese guy. WWE, on the other hand, doesn't do that. They own everything. They script everything. They control everything. It's much more of a tight show as a... You know, as much as people like to clown on AEW for being sports-like, you know, when they they were trying to claim that, in a lot of ways they are in that way, for example, is just one, you know, where it, it is not a scripted TV show. It is a, a fake sport, you know. They acknowledge other, other organizations and, and that sort of thing. So, Tony Khan can handle it but the problem is is that tony khan's just not good he's not good he's not telling any stories look at and it's clear as day and this is why the bloodline the bloodline story is already being hailed as the best storyline told since the nwo that could be hyperbole because that is a fucking high bar the i look man I don't give a fuck who you are, what you say, how contrarian, and oh, well, actually, this wasn't really that big of a deal. Look, the NWO, the Sting, especially the Sting era, not so much after Sting where it moved into Goldberg and then the Wolf Pack and got watered down. But that first, like, from when Hall and Nash debuted, from when Scott Hall walked down those stairs and fucking... All the way up to Sting coming down from the rafters, pointing his bat at Hulk Hogan after being cast out from the WCW locker room because they thought that he had turned his back on them and joined the NWO, but it was an imposter all along. And Sting tried to tell them, but they didn't believe him. They didn't trust him, and they told this story over the a year, two years. Sting sat up in the rafters and just watched people get beat down and spray-painted. And, and just heat, 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 heat. Sorry. Sorry. It's a family show, right? <laughs> Apologies. I got carried away there. But that's what they were doing. And what and it was brilliant at the time. You know, people criticize the constant heat and burying all your baby faces and sacrificing the entire WCB locker room. And there's definitely an argument there, but that leading to Sting returning on behalf of WCW and defeating Hulk Hogan, taking the championship back, and that starts the cracks that crumble the NWO. There's infighting. They're not getting along. Maybe even the very next night on Nitro, they do what they did in like WWE. After Hogan lost to The Rock, they fucking, uh, they, the, the, Holland Nash jumped them the next night on Raw, right? They, that would have been a brilliant cap to that. But they watered it down. They fucked it up. Sting didn't go get his tan that day. We all heard the stories, right? Um, <clears throat> but that's the greatest storyline in wrestling history. And to say, and, and I'm, I'm long-winded, just it's my show, fuck off. 
<laughs> that's the greatest story in wrestling history. And for people to put the bloodline in the same category, to speak the bloodline storyline in the same breath is is a testament to how good that storyline is, whether it is up there or not. Um, I think, look, I'm, it's not not up there with it. <clears throat> I'd like to see the, it finish out in, in history, you know, a little bit of dust settle on it and, and kind of see where it ranks in history. But, God, yes, it's up there. It's one of the greatest storylines in the last 10, 15 years, at least 20 years. So it very well could be. Um, Tony Khan has nothing like that. That is the stark contrast between what AEW is doing and what WWE is doing. And that mixed with Tony Khan just being a fucking whiny bitch-ass nerd, you know, doing his little bitchy drama tweets at Ariel Hawani and that sort of thing. People are losing. And then the CM Punk thing, it's... AEW is losing its credibility over and over and over. They're there with the budget. They're there with the production value. Look, I've gone to two AEW shows. Their production is on. I've been to countless WWE shows. AEW's production value is right up there, right down to swapping out the ring aprons in between matches, like in commercials, you know, like the... Um, Changing out the mat because you know so because it gets all sweaty and dirty and stuff. WWE always did that at least once per show during a commercial break. You know, little fucking ring monkeys come out and they just they're quit. It's amazing to watch them work. AEW the same. They got that whole fucking tech row, the big sweeping boom. I mean, I'm telling you, it's the it's just as good. So they have everything they need to be the Pepsi to WWE's Coke. And in a lot of ways, they still are because they have the things WWE does not. They have the better wrestling product. I don't give a fuck who you are. You are lying. You are lying to yourself. If you can honestly say that there's better wrestling matches week to week in WWE. And I'm not saying, oh, I can point to one match that was better than. No. Week to week, who is putting on better bell-to-bell in-ring wrestling? Which roster has better bell-to-bell in-ring wrestlers? AEW on both accounts. But why do you care? Why do you care? You care if you love to watch wrestling matches. But even that is not always enough. It's not enough to get me to tune into Rampage. I'm sure there's great wrestling matches that take place on Rampage. I don't know. Don't watch it. I give Dynamite my time, and I love it, and I thoroughly enjoy it every single week. I very rarely see something and go, I didn't like that. But there's nothing that is compelling as the Bloodline storyline. And I think, just to kind of wrap all this right back up to Ric Flair's point, I think it's time that Tony brings in somebody else to book this shit. Now, I have always said, at the very least... I think it would have been smart for Tony Khan to set up a booking committee around him. Not to book by committee because that's like people vote on it and it becomes this political clown show, you know, on who's going to get the strap and who's going to go over and people argue and they, you know, play favorites and all that shit. Tony can still be the decision maker and the final boss even. But put some smart brains around you to sit around and come up with shit for you. I know a lot of the wrestlers are coming up with their own storylines, but I think a lot of wrestlers are not coming up with their own storylines. 
And I think that's why a lot of wrestlers are not being used to their full ability. That and that <clears throat> Tony doesn't always report injuries and that kind of thing. But like a Miro is known to be cleared at this point. So either Tony has some sort of beef against Miro. I still think Miro probably slept with Tony Khan's girl. And <laughs> so now Tony is being vindictive about it. Um, but maybe Miro just doesn't have a creative brain cell on him and has no pitches for himself at this point. And it's kind of like, well, we, I mean, Tony should invest in a writer or two not to write people's scripts, not to fucking write the fucking show or anything like that. Just to be on hand to go to to add to things, to add ideas, to to expand ideas, to contribute what a creative writer could contribute, you know, add that creative writer point of view. And then, God, I would, I, I know he tried to get Cornette. I know he did. And plus, I know Cornette doesn't leave his house nowadays. And I know Cornette hates AEW and is not particularly going to work for a company where he's not going to have the control or the freedom to just speak his mind and bitch about everything. Um, but God, what a brain he would be to have on your, on your booking committee. Dutch Mantel, what a fucking brain to have on your booking committee. Um, you know, you, you mix that up. I would, I would have, I would have Matt Hardy on my booking committee. I think he brings another, a different side of creative ass. You know, he's a creative ass motherfucker. You know, think of all the, all the, uh, all the different like cinematic matches that they did and that sort of thing. Like have that brain on your fucking inner circle creative team. My God. So I think Tony really needs to start thinking about doing that at the very least, if not outright passing the book over to somebody else. He can step in and veto shit. If, if something's not looking right, he can step in and kind of take control a little bit. Um, and look, maybe that's what this is. Cause if you remember, uh, back in the first year of AEW, or maybe year and a half, uh, the young bucks had more creative freedom and Cody Rhodes had more creative freedom and Tony, there was a point, uh, I think it was the dark order gimmick that, that main event segment with the dark order beat down. Uh, and I think the Young Bucks, maybe? I don't know. That was a big, big flop. And that's where Tony was famously, like, he said this in many interviews. I just stepped in and just said, all right, I'm in control now. Uh, I'm just going to fucking take charge of this shit from now on because I didn't like that rating. So maybe that's why. Maybe he had a little booking committee at that time with, the, with those... Um, those EVPs, you know, maybe that was kind of part of their role and that's why they've lost more power lately and just kind of become people on the roster, you know. And then there's rumors that Kenny Omega might be highly courted by WWE and honestly, the WWE is probably going to try to poach a lot of their talent. If Tony doesn't turn this ship around and do something drastic that really gets people back invested in the product... He's going to start losing all of his top talent to WWE. Uh, unless he just outbids them. Unless he just outbids them. But why on earth would a Miro stay in AEW at this point? 
Uh, you know, we don't know if FTR has plans to come back. You know, they, they've Dax has spoken a lot of shit about Vince McMahon and just the clown show at WWE that they went through, the disrespect, the misuse, and that they said they weren't weren't even really Triple H's boys. So they don't even have that NXT tie to Triple H that people think they do. But they also bitched about Tony Khan, you know, and uh, they could lose a lot of guys. MJF could be on his way out soon. You, you know, they poach Jade Cargill. They poach Britt Baker. They take Adam Colbebe back. They get fucking Miro back. They could just clean house. If they got the elite, I would bet the elite come as a package. Uh, I bet, bet if Kenny Omega's contract comes up, we've heard the Young Bucks has probably got like a year left on his on theirs. Where one go, you know, if one stays in AEW, I would bet the other does. But if one goes to WWE, the other is going to be not far behind. And uh, that could really contribute to AEW being very, you know, kicked right down. I made the comparison in a previous clip that, Tony Khan's trying to be the Pepsi to a WWE's Coke. He's said it a million times. <coughs> Excuse me. But right now, he's just kind of like the RC Cola to Coca-Cola. He's not the Fago yet. He's not the store brand great value soda yet. You know, he's not TNA or NWA with all due respect to them. They are nowhere near the major leagues that WWE are. Tony Khan at least is competing on on budget, production, star power. You know, he has the ability to buy. He could go out and buy John Cena if he wants to. Easily. Without even fucking flinching. Mercedes Monet. Money. Whatever the fuck. Money. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, he has all of that in his back pocket, but if people don't want to watch the show or people don't see the credibility in AEW, they don't like Tony Khan, he's an annoying fuck, and they know he's the boss and it's his company. So by proxy, if look, everybody, Tony Khan was the laughing stock of the WWE locker room this past weekend at Elimination Chamber. Ariel Hawani said it on his show. We covered it in an earlier clip. He said when that tweet was sent out by Tony, the whole WWE locker room was talking about it, laughing about it. Oh, my God, what a what a tool this was, to the point Michael Cole even called him out on commentary. Um, you know, took a little shaded, veiled jab. <clears throat> Tony's got to turn this ship around or he's going to lose that. He's going to lose that secondary status. They're going to be RC Cola and and great value. I don't know if they'll get great value because they got the budget to print the nicer, fancier labels and the cool bottles and stuff. You know what I mean? They can put a nice coat of paint on the product, but the product's got to be good and it's got to be watchable. And look, man, I love a good goddamn wrestling match. So to me, the product's watchable. But I can't tell you that there's anything that's like, Got me hanging on the edge of my seat. You know, there's no, God, I can't wait to see what happens next. That just doesn't exist in AEW. And uh, Tony, for as much as Meltzer likes to call him the booker of the year, I, I just don't see it, especially up against the bloodline angle, which really shines a light on how weak the storytelling is in AEW right now.
Speaking of AEW, AEW done and went and got themselves a brand new show. Wouldn't you know it? AEW comes through with a reality show that's going to follow around a bunch of different wrestlers doing their day-to-day life gimmick. And this is exactly what I pitched. I don't remember what week it was. It might have been last week, which was an episode I deleted. If you're watching the full show, I talked about that. Didn't delete. I recorded with no audio. Um, So it might have been that episode. But uh, I did somewhere along the way talk about uh, this idea that... Look, the uh, head of the, uh, the head of programming or whatever for TBS and TNT, her name is Kathleen Finch, and she's a big supporter of AEW. She likes it. She's friendly towards it. She likes the fan base. She likes the ratings that it does. Um, I've said this, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, uh, I did a clip. AEW is not going anywhere. There's still all these fucking idiot marks out there on the internet who are like, oh, there's too much blood on TV. Oh, they swear too much. Their network's going to drop them. I think they get this shit from Jim Cornette. I hear Jim Cornette say something like that, you know, like because Moxley drops an F-bomb while he's bleeding all over the place. And, you know, they're like, oh, he's going to get kicked off. They're not going to get kicked off the network. The networks love AEW and as further proof of this, they got a new show. So not only are they not going to get kicked off the network, not only will they get a better deal for the TV rights for Dynamite and Rampage. Mark my motherfucking words because it's just the TV industry. They're starving for it. They need it in a nutshell. They need that cheap live week-to-week entertainment that wrestling provides and the crazy fandoms. They know at least a million people. Not only that, but the numbers uh, show, I think it was in the press release that they did for this new show, that they get like 4 million viewers across all platforms. You know, we look at the week-to-week numbers, but, hey, show of hands out there in the crowd, who actually watches TV live? Like, do you sit down and you, like, even Raw, I don't watch, I watch the Hulu version of Raw the next day, which is trimmed down a little bit. But, I, I mean, I I'm, I can't be in front of my T. I don't even have cable, first thing. <laughs> but I'm not going to be, even if I did, I wouldn't be able to sit in front of my TV at the time. TV's on my schedule. I'm not on TV's schedule, right? We're in a whole new world at this point. And sure, some people probably still have DVRs or whatever. Um, but I would, uh, I would think that people are just watching it other ways, like Hulu, for example, they're finding it on streaming after the fact or, or, you know, on the, the, um, DVR three days out, or they're consuming it piece by piece in clips on like YouTube or, or Facebook or Twitter or whatever the fuck people consume wrestling in different ways. You know, I don't. I don't even want. I don't watch SmackDown as much as I watch Raw, and uh, you know. But I do keep up on it still by just you know watching the clips. You know, as the show's live, they're putting clips out on fucking Facebook, and you get the gist of it. You know what I mean? So more people are watching the show than like a fucking Jim Cornette likes to give them credit for, and they have this rabid fan base, and the networks love that shit, and that's what they're aiming for. They, this is in their stating goals. We're aiming for fandoms. We're aiming for cheap, uh, non-scripted entertainment, and and 
AEW's been consistent. You can say what you want about them not getting over a million views uh, in the ratings. You know, they're they're at a million or under. I think they hit a million again with this big Tony Khan announcement, but those are always those always get a pop in the ratings, and they're designed that way. You know, it was the big joke, <laughs> one of the many big jokes about Tony Khan going on about uh, out and about on social media this week was that <clears throat> Tony Khan, you know, the ratings dip one week and oop, here's a big announcement by Tony Khan the next week, like clockwork, right? But this is a big deal. Uh, if nothing else, it shows that the it confirms the network support. Because any of you stupid fuckers out there at this point saying that the network doesn't like AEW or that they're going to get dropped or, you know, I don't know where any of this got started. It's half Cornette talking about the blood and the swearing and, and the fucking the, the bank addicted drug robber cutting people's faces open with pizza cutters during a Domino's commercial. It's a little bit of that. <clears throat> it's the new owners of Discovery, you know, Discovery Warner Media merger and all the fucking movies getting cut and people getting fired. And it's a combination of all that. But I've been saying this all along because I follow the trades. You know, I follow the Hollywood shit, too. They have a very stated, clear path, and AEW fits perfectly into their path of what they want to do. And they're investing in it. That's where the slap fight comes from. Slap fight was added as just they're looking for shit that they can add around AEW. So that when people watch AEW, they don't leave and go watch something else then after that. that they'll want to stick around and watch a little bit more. And I'll fucking guarantee to you, if AEW does a million viewers... That, that backstage show is going to get 700,000 at least the first episode. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, maybe it'll, even if it dips as low as 500,000, half the audience sticks around an extra hour to watch behind the scenes AEW shit. Of course they fucking will. I'm going to watch the show. Guess where I'm not going to watch it? On live TV. So my rating's not going to count. You know, the ratings were weak for the... I'm going to watch the show every single week, motherfucker. Because um, I like that backstage, behind-the-scenes shit. And let me tell you this, too, for people that are like, ha-ha, behind-the-scenes show, meh. Fuck off with that, because the Bella Twins show, Total Divas and Total Bellas, were both hit shows. And they made stars out of the Bella Twins. Bella Twins are mega stars, not from, not from wrestling, not from having matches in the ring. The Bella Twins are iconic mega stars. They are household names. Why? Is it because of that good match that Brie Bella had with fucking whoever the fuck? No! It's because they're fucking on TV week to week in this reality show. People like reality shows still. Yes, people still like reality shows. And guess what? Wrestling fans like me, not all of you. Some of you guys are like, ah, trash. But like me, I like the dirt. I like the behind the scenes. And yeah, it's going to be a show. Yeah, it's going to be scripted if there's any kind of drama or if it's anything like Total Divas. Um, but just following these guys around, this is going to have, if this has elements of that, remember like the WWE 24 seven, where they put that on, where they follow somebody around like WrestleMania weekend or something like that. Like we're going to take this journey with a handful of characters over the course of like five, six months, whatever the fuck. 
And I think that's going to be compelling television. I think that's a brilliant piece to add around AEW programming. That's what's going to keep the AEW audience there. It's what I had pitched. I don't know if it's one that's out there on the internet or if it's the one that didn't actually fucking actually record the audio. But I've said it into this microphone before. Do the, do the reality show. And uh, it'll be great. And they're going to follow around Britt and Adam Cole, Bebe. Um, which are both fan favorites and people love them. They're going to follow around a guy like Eddie Kingston. How fun is that going to be? Telling Eddie Kingston's story. He's such a compelling guy. He's perfect for this. So this isn't going to be just trash Total Divas TV. There might be an element of that, but this is going to be more like the WWE 24-7. So all of you fucking, I, I, I read it out there in the comments. So if you're one of them, they're like laughing at another reality show. The WWE 24-7 documentary following around somebody for, you know, the weeks leading up to a big show get fucking huge ratings and they're well-received. They're good pieces of documentary work. And if this is more documentary-esque than Total Divas Bella Divas reality show, they're going to have a fucking hit on their hands. Especially, you know, depending on how it's produced, how it's filmed, the stories that are told. This could be some compelling shit. And I'm here for it until they prove me otherwise and I watch it and it's like, eh, then it's trash. Then it's trash and fuck it. But uh, look, man, I, I'm on board with it. I, I have faith in it. It sounds compelling. An AEW behind the scenes 24-7 documentary follow day in the life of several stars. I think Jade Cargill is on there. Fucking sign me up. S-A-W-F. What'd you think of that? That Max Caster rap. For the... And your wife just told me that your S-A-W-F-T soft. <sighs> Jesus Christ. But um, And it's, it shows faith. It shows the network's faith in AEW. They are behind AEW. They support AEW. What more can you ask for? I'm sure there's still going to be idiots out there on the internet. Some of you watching, I'm sorry. I still love you. I don't think you're an actual idiot. You're just very, very wrong on this subject. The network's not going to cut AEW, nor are they going to get a lowball shit TV deal. They're going to get a raise. They're going to have some money to play with in 2024. We talk about the Kenny Omega's contracts coming up, and we talk about the Young Bucks contracts and the MJF's contracts, and yes, all of these people could end up over in WWE, and WWE will attempt to get them, make no mistake. But if anybody has money to compete for talent, top-level talent, with WWE, it's Tony fucking Khan. Tony, Money Banks, ATM Khan. Sign those checks, buddy. Sign them up. Keep the talent. Hire a new booking team. Let's get this fucking shit rolling. But uh, this is a good sign, at least, for the longevity of AEW. They're not going anywhere. And anybody who says different, you're just uneducated or stubborn or just trying to be contrarian at this point. Quit being a cunt and, and just acknowledge... Acknowledge me. Acknowledge the fact that AEW is going to be around. They're going to get a nice big fat TV deal. And they're going to be signing some fucking checks. Baby. But that's just my thoughts. Let me know down in the comments below what you think. of The reality show gimmick. The 
24-7 style versus Bella Twins style or the, you know, um, what this means for AEW with the network. I want to hear what you guys fucking think. Speak up about it. Peace, love, and pizza. On to the next. Well, she's the trash talking, moonwalking, something, something, Staten Island, something or other. I don't fucking know. Carmella. Mella is money. I like Carmella. Carmella's cool in my book. She's cool. I was always a fan, even in NXT when she was with the fucking, uh, uh, with the, with the Cass and Enzo. She was great. She's she's uh, a fine talent, and she's been off our TV for a long, long time, and it hasn't been addressed where she was. And then there was some speculation recently, as I believe she has opened up, that she went through a miscarriage. And uh, there was a little bit more to it than that, though. There was a serious health issue involved with that, a deep depression. And Carmella opens up about it on her husband's show. After the Bell with Corey Graves and KP. Check out this clip. Some health issues going on that we've now moved on from. I'm great. I'm healthy. I'm ready to go. But yeah, it's been a crazy uh, seven months to say the least. Well, I know firsthand what you've been dealing with because you are my wife and we live under the same roof. And occasionally we get to spend time in the same city (laughs) as one another. Uh, But I know you've been open and honest about it. while you were away via your social media, which you do your best to keep in touch with everybody uh, on those platforms. But for those who may not be familiar, what went down, I know this is something very, very important to you to speak about, and, and you've had a lot, a lot of time to, to deal with and wrap your head around it. And I know before we invited you on here, you said you were going to be comfortable sort of uh, shining a little light on that for the, the listeners uh, who may get something important to take away from it. Yeah. So I was dealing with an ectopic pregnancy, which means that the pregnancy was not viable, couldn't move forward with it. And it's actually something that you and I both were learning together is very, very dangerous. It's something that a lot of women actually don't make it through. So I feel very fortunate that I've... Yeah. And that's what's so crazy is because, you know, my friends, family, no one realized just how extreme this is my husband included myself included. (laughs) And this has been something we've had multiple discussions about because in the moment I had heard, I'd heard the phrase ectopic pregnancy. I Googled it. I got a definition for what it was, but I had no idea, even as your husband, as your partner, as you know, this, this was my pregnancy as well. You know what I mean? And I didn't realize the magnitude of what that is. And I know you have done a lot of work and a lot of research and you've connected with a lot of people on this subject. And it turns out it's a relatively common thing that a lot of people deal with, but uh, sometimes aren't necessarily open to talking about. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't say it's common. It actually only happens to 6% of pregnancies, which is crazy to think about 6%. Um, But basically what happens is I'm just so grateful I listened to my body. There was a moment where I wasn't sure what was happening. My stomach was killing me. I asked you to take me to the emergency room. We're in the emergency room. And I'm not proud of this now, but she asked me to take her to the emergency room. And I went, why? I didn't get it because this is maybe, maybe to your point, it's not that common. Yeah. And in hindsight, I, I realized like, man, I, I have never screwed up that bad. But in the moment, it was just like, I didn't understand what we were dealing with. I know, but I, I think in that moment, it's, it's very difficult to go, sure, absolutely, let's go, right? And I know that may seem like the right thing to do for everybody listening. But if my wife said to me, I need to go to the emergency room right now, 
I'd, I'd want to, I'd have a million and one questions, of course. So how did you process all you were going through? It was, gosh, it was so difficult because once it happened, I'm in the emergency room. I actually had to take an ambulance to another emergency room for them to continue to diagnose exactly what had happened. And once I realized what it, that it wasn't, in fact, an ectopic pregnancy, which means it's in your, not to get super technical, but it's in your fallopian tube, not in your uterus. So uh, at any point, basically, it can explode and you can bleed to death, which is insane to think about. Uh, no, but- don't don't gloss over that. This is what really <laughs> rocked me. This is when yeah. I went, oh my God, I, I need to be a better partner. I need to be more supportive. I didn't realize. I thought, hey, it was something you, you get fixed. You may need to get surgery or something or something that your body just recovers from. When I found out like you could have died from yeah. that, like yeah. that, that rocked my world. Yeah, it's it's insane because not only am I in the emergency room for this crazy medical condition that, you know, we have to monitor very closely. I was on bed rest for four weeks straight, couldn't do anything. But then I'm also processing the loss of our baby. So it was a double whammy. So I just think through all of that, I mean, we made it through and I'm so, so grateful. And I'm not trying to gloss over any of this as if it was, I mean, I was in a deep depression for a while. It was really hard, but I felt like it was necessary for me to share my story because I felt, even though I had you, I had my family. I've never felt so alone because it's kind of like blaming yourself. What did I do wrong? How could I have prevented this? But turns out there's nothing I could have done. It's just how your body reacts. And women came out of the woodwork. That's why I wanted to share my story because I was so lonely and I felt so isolated through the experience. And I felt like if I'm going through this, surely there are other women out there or men out there who are helping their wife or partner or daughter or anyone going through that. And I just really wanted to share my story because scary to think about that shit i mean had that to burst in her she could have been in a very life-threatening situation and then just add that like oh your health is at risk and you lost your baby add all of that in just fucking deep depression setting in just fucking like she said just sitting on the couch wasn't sure she'd ever be able to come back. Where's my motivation? Where's you know? I gotta get off this couch. Gotta get working. Uh, I got a lot of respect for Carmella. She's obviously not one of the better female wrestlers in WWE. Um, some of you might disagree. Some of you might think very highly of Carmella. She got a nice little push. I'm actually glad that she was like the second to last in the elimination chamber. Of course, Asuka had to get the win. Asuka's my bitch. I fucking love me some Asuka. She's so underrated. Asuka's fantastic. But we're talking about Mela here, and I think Carmella's great too. Um, but to me, she's kind of, you know, mid-card, uh, lower mid-card, in fact, for the women's division. But I got a lot of respect for her. I like her. Um, you know, she doesn't annoy me. She doesn't bug me. I like what she does. Um, and she does cut some pretty decent promos and I'm glad that she's back. I'm glad that she's in a good mental place and I'm glad that she's able to come out and share this stuff publicly, you know, because I think a lot of people need to hear that. A lot of people that go through the same things, it's important to hear it from people that they know, people that they follow, people that they like and respect. Celebrities seem so untouchable sometimes that, uh, you know, if you can find out that they're going through something that you went through as well and they can speak on it in public, uh, you know, publicly and shed some light on the topic, uh, it just kind of it's good for everybody. It's healthy. It's empowering. 
and fucking good for Mela. And I hope she's now that she's back and she's in it and she's hyped that she's got the the gimmick that she wanted to begin with because they tried switching up her gimmick a few times and did some silly shit with her. Uh, very Vince McMahon type stuff. But she's back, just the trash talking Staten Island bitch. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, it's it's a perfect fit for her. It's it's a great little gimmick, and hopefully she has a nice little run. Um, but more importantly, just respect to her for what she went through. Glad she's okay, and glad that she's back on track and back in the ring. Let me know your thoughts if you have any on this one. And that's it. That's all I got here. A nice little quick one, but I did want to acknowledge it um, for any of you that might have had a similar story or just wanted to hear it. You know what I mean? Where has Mella been and, and where's her head at now? So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and roll on to the next. Well, Chris Jericho just got done with his infamous Chris Jericho cruise. I kind of want to go to one of these fucking cruises now at this point. They sound like a blast. Music, wrestling, comedians, meet and greets, fucking just people walking around having a good time. Um, That's similar like uh, I went to a few of the Gathering of the Juggalos. As some of you longtime listeners know, I wrote wrote a book about the Gathering of the Juggalos. Um, That's one of those things where you just see people walking around and, and they're right there. You know, like I write about in that book, you know, there's a lot of wrestling stuff in there. That's why I'm relating it to that. It's not uncommon to just see Jeff Jarrett walking around one year or fucking Sabu riding around in a golf cart or fucking you just you just bump into people and it's fantastic. And it's a good fun atmosphere and it kind of sounds like that's what the Jericho Cruise is like. You know, because Jericho's talking about it. Some people didn't want to go because they th- think they'd be mobbed by fans or whatever. So it's very intimate. The fans are right up there with the wrestlers. Um, but, you know, by all accounts, fans are pretty respectful and, and chill and just enjoy being on the cruise and having some fun with some of their favorite uh, wrestlers and comedians and stuff. Um, but with all of that said, Jericho released his first podcast that he had recorded on the cruise and he recorded it with a couple of the WWE legends. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Did I just call Brutus the Barber Beefcake a legend? And IRS, who is a goddamn legend, mind you. And uh, in this particular clip, we get to hear where IRS got his gimmick. It's been long speculated. How did it come about and what did he think about it? Check out this clip. I would assume that Vince got audited or something and hated tax people at the time. I was like, why should that It didn't so much mean as much being your real name when you could play that character because they wanted a trade market as well. But yeah, it was, it was a heat-seeking missile uh, kind of uh, gimmick that I had. You know, I, I can recall two or three different times I'd meet real accountants like IRS guys and they go, oh. There you go. <laughs> they, they would always tell me, oh, man, I wish I could call people tax cheats like that. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, and, you know, and then WWE, we got tagged up, Ted and I. I was a crooked IRS guy. He's a cro- crooked millionaire. I mean, now we're talking about real life. <laughs> he didn't have True to life. <laughs> 
how did Vince uh, pitch that character to you? Um, they basically said, yeah, you're going to be a crooked tax guy, you know? And they had me do a bunch of vignettes, and I'm reading these things, and I'm going, oh my god, they're going to kill me. You know, so, but yeah, it, it was fun. I, I actually enjoyed it. It was uh, probably my best character that I ever did, so. Good old Bo Rotundo's dad, right? Fucking Uncle Howdy's pops himself. The father of Uncle Howdy. Is there what's what do you call the father of an uncle? Is there a term for that? Is there a familial term for the father of an uncle? Mike Rotundo, better known as IRS or Mr. Wall Street or VK Wall Street, which was what? Vincent Kennedy Wall Street under the Eric Bischoff era. I don't fucking know. Um, but IRS, let me fucking tell you about IRS. You know, we, we, we've had a lot of ridiculous gimmicks in the past. We've had repo men. We've had hockey players. We've had a giant fucking chicken popping out of an egg. We got dead zombies, which turned out to be an incredible gimmick. A lot of stupid, silly shit. A red rooster with the fucking the red little up top there. But a tax man. Wearing a suit and tie, carrying a briefcase, coming out and calling everybody tax cheats. On paper, it sounds ridiculous. And it is. It's ridiculous. And it's totally a Vince McMahon idea. Like Chris Jericho said, you know, I, I don't know that Mike uh, confirmed it necessarily. But I think uh, Jericho had noted, and I think Mike kind of confirmed the suspicion that uh, Vince had a b- fucking audit or a bad run-in or just got a hair up his ass about the tax man someday and decided he's going to make a heel character out of a tax man. And pfft, my God, did Mike Rotundo make chicken salad out of chicken shit with that one, right? R.I.P. Jerry Jarrett. Hmm. Um, he made chicken salad out of that shit, man. He is proof positive that you can take a dog shit. And now look, he was never going to be a world champion. Dog shit gimmicks have ceilings. But you can't goddamn tell me that a man cannot take a dog shit gimmick and run with it. An IRS guy, a tax collector, doesn't even have music. He comes out and just complains to the crowd. You fucking tax cheats. Goddamn you all. And what's best is when you see his promos on the past WrestleMania clips. <clears throat> WrestleMania is always around tax season, so he's always able to kind of slip that promo in there. He was fantastic. You remember IRS. IRS is remembered fondly from your child. He, he was a legit heel, especially when he teamed up with Ted DiBiase and they were Money Incorporated. They were a badass team. They were tag team champions and deservedly so. You know, they had that giant high-profile tag match at WrestleMania 9 with Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake. Weird that Hulkster was in a tag match for the tag titles. But with IRS and fucking Ted DiBiase, it was it was a perfect gimmick, uh, perfect pairing for a tag team. And, man, did uh, 
Mike Rotundo got so much mileage out of that IRS gimmick. He got more out of that than most people with the same gimmick ever could have done. And, you know, he doesn't strike me as a particularly charismatic guy, which kind of fits into being the IRS tax guy, right? Just some uptight square, some fucking fucking boring ass stick stick in the mud. That's what Mike Rotondo kind of is. And just, man, he took it and he got so much heat. He got booed. He got his ass booed out of every building. And you remember him. You remember him clearly. He does stand out. He is iconic. He is a legend in the business. And he's even a former champion. He was a world champion, a tag team champion. In an era where having a championship still meant something. You know, it wasn't hot potato. Oh, who's the tag team champions now? I don't fucking know. And they're just the champions of Raw or whatever. They were the WWF World Tag Team Champions. Uh, for They had quite a run. I don't know if they were the champions throughout, but they were on and off in that tag title picture for the better part of like two, three years. They It was so dope. Um, I At least maybe I'm just fucking... A man on my own island here, and you guys are listening to me, and you're like, IRS, bro, really? I'm not saying it's the greatest game. He's not the Undertaker or anything, but it's it's it was he just it was so fun. It was fun what he did to it. I remember I had a video game. Uh, I had the Game Gear, the big fucking portable gimmick, and it had uh, WrestleMania Steel Cage was the game, and it had IRS as a character, and IRS doesn't have music. But he in the game they just made it like a typewriter, like probably better if I. That's what the music was. It was fucking so stupid. Um, but yeah, man, it's a blast from my childhood, and I just all the credit in the world for what he was able to take and do with that gimmick because it's memorable. And he was able to reach some pretty significant heights and have some pretty significant matches. Look, like he wrestled Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. What else can be said? You know what I mean? Tag team or not. Dude did a lot with it. So props to Mike Rotundo, the daddy of Uncle Howdy, the daddy of Bray Wyatt. Fucking just just incredible. I'm gonna. I should have wore a tie for this. I'm gonna. I'll. I'm gonna. Uh, next time I do an IRS clip, I'm gonna wear the tie. That's it, y'all. That's all I got for you this week. I promise the audio is recording this time. I'm watching the little meter move over there. It's a rookie mistake. Look, I like to consider myself a professional. I am a professional. I'm a professional. But it's, it's, it's a rookie mistake. Uh, in, in twice in three weeks, you know, different things. I deleted the last one. This one, I just didn't record the audio. I'm just fucking just got a, you know, hour and a half long video of me just. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Rerecord it? Maybe. Maybe not. Fuck it. Take the week off, kick my feet up, whatever. I appreciate you guys sticking with me. I appreciate you sticking around. Don't be mad at me. Um, look, I'm only human. I'm going to need to uh, fuck up once in a while. Everybody does it, and uh, 
is what it is. Um, please, if you liked the show, hit the subscribe button. If you're on watching it on YouTube and you made it this far, for the love of all that's fucky, please hit the subscribe button. It helps me out so much. I'm trying to get that 1,000. I'm trying to get monetized. I'm trying to bring in ad revenue, sponsorships, all that shit. I'm trying to, I'm trying to come on up in this world. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, hit subscribe or follow or whatever the app asks you to do there. Like, follow, subscribe, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, if you're not on any of those. Uh, you know, you're going to get a lot of the shorts from me on there. I do post those also on YouTube when I do those. And uh, also just my random musings, random thoughts. I will share them with you guys, and I would like to share them with you guys. So if you just want to hang out and chat about anything, random things, you know, you hit me up about the fucking Chinese weather balloon or something. I don't care. Let's chat. Holler at me on the fucking Facebook or on the Twitter, and I will respond. Um, but I just, you know, thank you guys so much. I say it every week, but goddamn, if you made it this far, you actually like the show, and you're actually here to support me, and I just fucking means the world so with that said i'll cut you loose thank you for watching thank you for hanging out with me and spending your sunday with me peace love and pizza i am your boy seth grimes and this is the pro wrestling podcast podcast thought i was gonna lose it there for a second like podcast you know like your voice cracks podcast felt like it was gonna do that that would have been that would have been embarrassing I hate juggalos. I fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life, I proudly identified as a juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm, I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit! Run! You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? <sighs> yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld.